Last week, we looked at how God was with Joseph in Genesis 39. Even though Joseph was in a new place, a completely foreign to him a place, even though he was having to learn a lot of new customs, was, was having to adjust from being a favored child to a slave, even though he felt alone in the crowded empire of Egypt, God was with him. God was with Joseph, and God is with us. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, is the proof of that promise. And even when life doesn't feel like it's going the way that we would like it to, that does not mean that God has abandoned us, but rather that he is with us on the journey. This is true for our lives, just as it was true for Joseph, as we will see in our text this morning. Last week, Joseph went from being a bottom-rung slave to being the second-in-command of the entire household of one of Pharaoh's top lieutenants, Potiphar the captain of Pharaoh's guard. But after some foul play by by Potiphar's wife, Joseph finds himself cast from being the favored slave to being in prison and having shackles around his neck and his ankles. And yet even in prison, God was with Joseph. And he found favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The portion of Joseph's story that we'll be looking at today takes place in Genesis 40. Though we will not be reading the whole chapter this morning, in the beginning of Genesis 40, Joseph is 28 years old. And it has been 11 years since he was sold into slavery. We don't know how those 11 years were divided between Potiphar's house and and his time in prison. But that just gives us a clearer picture of where Joseph is in his life at this point in the story. So Joseph is in jail. And we find out that Pharaoh is angry with his chief cutbearer and his chief baker. These men have been put in charge of the purity and the quality of Pharaoh's food, and they have have held the king's life in their hands. The cupbearer would would taste the wine before passing it to Pharaoh, making sure that it would not harm the king. The baker helped prepare Pharaoh's food. Now, we don't know why they were cast into prison, only that they were and when the warden, or, and, and that when they were, the warden put them under Joseph's care. Our text tells us that they had been in prison for some time, but then one night they each had a dream. The next morning they woke up and were dismayed. Joseph asked them why they were being particularly grumpy this morning, and they answered that they had both had dreams the night before, but they had no one to interpret the dreams for them. Joseph told them that the interpretation of dreams belongs to God and asked them to tell him what they dreamt. And that is where we will pick up in our text this morning. In Genesis chapter 40, we'll start at verse 9 and read to 23. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. 
But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. That sends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. There's a lot going on in this passage. We've got dreams. We've got interpretations of dreams. We've got a redemption story. We've got a pretty brutal death. And though there are quite a few different directions that we could go this morning, there are two words in that passage that jump out to me. Two words that we are going to focus on. Two words spoken by a man who is frustrated, a man who is hurt, a man who has been suffering, a man who feels neglected, a man who feels forgotten. Joseph, rotting in the pit, the prison that he has been held in for the past many years, just provided a fellow prisoner with words of hope. Joseph is told the cupbearer that he will be restored to his previous position, that everything will go well for him, and that his hopes have been realized. And then he follows this beautiful, life-giving pronouncement with two words. Remember me. Remember me. Remembrance. Do we ever feel forgotten? Do we ever feel forgotten? School has been a bit different this year, as we are all well aware. Our kids have been attending in person from 8.30 in the morning to 12.30 in the afternoon for the past month on a, on a weekly, on a, like a daily weekly basis, but, but they weren't always able to go in every day like that. For a while, it was only on select days of the week that they could go in person, and it, it wasn't a lot of days, right? Like, it should have been easy to remember But there was definitely a day that I didn't. Apparently, I should have set an alarm, but I got so caught up in work, I was so into the writing of my sermon at the time, and that time just, it just got away from me. And then I get a text from Karen, are you picking up the boys today? I about jumped out of my chair, it was 12.30. The kids were already dismissed, and I had to drive there, find parking, and still collect each of them. By the time I got to the school, I was too late 
to, to pick up each of the boys at their respective doors. Thankfully, we have relationships with other parents and the teachers, and one of those parents saw our huge van pull in late and went and collected two of my sons for me while I ran around the other side of the school and collected the other two. The teachers and parents were gracious, but my embarrassment didn't fully bloom to its greatest potential until my youngest little student holding my hand while we crossed to the parking lot, looked up at me and asked, Did you forget about me, Dad? Did you forget about me? My son was nervous that his father had forgotten him. It's not that I forgot he existed. It's definitely not that I stopped loving him. But as he waited there, all the other kids were leaving one by one, all The other parents had remembered their children, and when dad didn't walk around that corner like my son expected him to, doubt began to seep into his brain. Did dad, did dad forget me? In the same way that my son asked his earthly father that question, we have a tendency to ask our heavenly father that question, don't we? Joseph had been a good soldier. He's been faithful, he's done what he's been called to do, and yet he is suffering, and he feels forgotten. Like Joseph, we have struggled, or will struggle, through periods of time that have been exceptionally hard on us. And we can't figure out why God is doing the things, or isn't doing the things that we expect him to be doing. Though we may not have had the exact same experience as Joseph, we can still empathize with the hurt and the frustration that lead him to ask the questions, why isn't he letting me out of this prison? Why has he kept me here so long? I didn't didn't even do anything wrong. I didn't give in to the temptation that was set before me. I didn't deserve to be sold into slavery. Why is God letting all of this happen? And why does it feel like he has forgotten me? Joseph is in a storm of life. He has been for years, ever since the cloak was ripped off his body and his brothers had thrown him into the well. And then the storm clouds part. Two new men are put into prison and they are assigned to Joseph and he develops a relationship with them. And after a time, they are both given dreams. And just as Joseph's dual dreams in the beginning of his story, the dreams we talked about weeks ago, about the sheaves and the stars all bowing down to Joseph, the the duality of those lent a a certainty to their fulfillment. The two of them, two of them happening, this is going to happen. And so that duality of of these men both having dreams lent the same certainty, right? These dreams were coming true. This was going to happen. And so Joseph goes to the one who will live, the one who will be restored, the one who is getting what Joseph so desperately desires. And he asks the cupbearer, remember me. I've been good to you, man. I've I've helped you. I've given you fantastic news. Tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him about my difficulties and the unfairness that has been done to me. Help me get out of this season of suffering. You can almost feel Joseph's excitement as the cupbearer is restored. He's got a guy on the inside now, man. I got a guy. He has a dude so close to the king that they are sharing a cup, literally sharing a cup. He can see how God's hand of deliverance is at work. 
He thinks he can finally see a way out. But what happens? The cupbearer leaves the pit and the days pass. And days turn into weeks, weeks to months, and months to years. Joseph thought he had it all figured out. He thought that he could discern God's hand at work, and yet it happens that he was wrong. Things did not go as he was expected. Dad did not walk around the corner of the school like he was expected to. And Joseph was left alone yet again. For as our text tells us this morning, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The clouds are back, and the storm rages on. Now we know the end of the story. We know what will happen. We know that God has not forgotten Joseph. We know that God has a fantastic plan for Joseph, and that God is drawing Joseph closer to himself through the hardships that he is facing But how do you think it felt to be Joseph? After the cupbearer is restored, after Joseph thought that his deliverance from the pit of misery was close at hand, it would still be two years before Joseph is granted his freedom. His deliverance was so close he could taste it. All the pieces were there, and yet there would still be two years of shackles and darkness and inner turmoil for the young Hebrew. Two more years of feeling forgotten and abandoned. Do you ever feel forgotten and abandoned by God? Do you ever wonder how God could have let something like what you are going through happen to you? There are times in my deepest sorrows that I have wondered if God has forgotten me. For in my sinfulness, I am forgetful. And again, in my sinfulness... I put my flaws on God. Since I am forgetful, I reason in the darkness of my storm of life. He must be forgetful. I love my children. I care deeply about my children, but that didn't stop me from getting caught up in other things, getting distracted by other things, and so I didn't pick them up at the time that I was supposed to. Sometimes it can feel like God's just got a lot on his plate, right? I mean, he's God. He's, he's doing a ton of things. He's caring for more people than I have the ability to count or comprehend. He's got a lot going on, and so as much as it hurts, it can feel like maybe, maybe I slipped through the cracks. Like maybe he forgot about me as I endure this storm of life. He, he certainly hasn't spared me this storm, so it can feel like he's either mad at me or, or worse, he doesn't remember that I'm there struggling and suffering. And our sinful minds and the crafty deceiver, the enemy, our adversary, are very talented at taking that train of thought a step further. Maybe God has us on the back burner because we haven't gotten our lives together like we should. Maybe God isn't actively remembering us because we don't deserve it. Maybe he's letting us sit in this storm, sit in this proverbial pit because we've earned it and we haven't earned his attention We haven't been good enough to draw his gaze. I don't know where you are at with your walk in the Lord this morning, but church, friends, know this. God has not forgotten you. 
Whether you believe in him or not, whether you are mad at him or not, where you are in your relationship with the Lord has nothing to do with his remembrance of you. He has not forgotten you. He remembers you. And in the Hebrew, the word remember isn't something that is done passively. It's intentional. There is purpose behind God's remembering you. He is intentionally focused on you. He is, in fact, so focused on you and his plans for you, his desire for you, that he has gone to incredible lengths to make a relationship with you possible. It is because of his remembrance of you that he sent Jesus, his son, to die for you. God wants to be in relationship with you so incredibly much that he sent Jesus Christ, his one and only son, his perfect son, to take your sin, my sin, the sin of our neighbor, the sin of our enemy, the sin that we are embarrassed of, the sin that has been done against us. He sent his son to take all of the sin in the world and to become it on the cross so that with his death, the debt would be paid. And with that debt paid, with sin atoned for, we can, or he can have relationship with those that he has created, with those that he has remembered. And if you ever feel like you're not good enough for God to remember, if the adversary, if Satan, if our own sinful flesh has ever tortured you with thoughts that you aren't good enough to be remembered by God, that you've sinned too much to be forgiven, that you aren't worthy, I beg of you to remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus. This man had no time to make amends for the sins that he had committed, and those sins were vast, for he was rightfully receiving the worst form of corporal punishment that the Roman Empire employed. He was being put to death on a cross. He was hours from death with no means to make amends, no tangible way of qualifying for God's remembrance. And yet in spite of that, he turns his head and says to Jesus, Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. From the lips of this murderer, we hear the same words we hear from the mouth of Joseph. The same words we ourselves have spoken in our times of pain and need and suffering. Remember me. And how does Jesus respond? Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus responds by saying, I love you and I can never forget you. And today you will be with me in my kingdom for I will remember you. It was not the works of the thief that qualified him for heaven, for again, he had no time to make things right, to earn God's favor or Jesus' remembrance. Instead of works, he had faith. We don't know when, we don't know how, but that man was given faith, for he confessed it with his mouth, confessed that Jesus was Lord, that he would be in heaven. And Jesus says, I will remember you, I will intentionally be thinking of you. And those are the same words that he has for us. Despite our sin, despite how unworthy we are of God's remembrance, he will never forget us. I pray that truth is a comfort to you as you go through the difficulties of life. For difficulties and disappointment will come. One of the things that we see clearly from Joseph's story is that disappointments are essential to spiritual growth because they demand faith and resting all hope 
upon God. Joseph's dissonance, his his struggle with why he was where he was and why things are happening to him is a place that the faithful often live. And it is a place where growth happens. It is a place where God draws us closer to himself. It is a place where God shapes us into the tools that he will use in glorious and fantastic ways, ways beyond our imagining. I will never forget one night, Karen and I were sitting in our bedroom. We had had a couple of months to process the reality that the little one Karen was pregnant with had trisomy 18, a very rare genetic disorder, and that we would never get to hold her or get to know her here in this world. And as we were sitting there processing and mourning together, Karen looked at me and said, I never wanted this to be part of my story. And man, did those words hit. I didn't want this to be part of my story either. I wanted to comfort people that were experiencing loss. I didn't want to feel that loss myself. And what's more, I didn't realize how long I would be dealing with this. I I have begun to realize, I've begun to accept that I will be mourning Ava for the rest of my life. I don't tell you that in an effort to earn your pity. I tell you that to let you know that sometimes, like Joseph, we will experience the sufferings of life way past the time that we think we should be over them. That we should be delivered from them. We don't get to set the timeline. And even though it feels like we should be past our time of dealing with things, that the storm should have been over by now, that we've learned the lesson. We're ready to graduate from the class. It's just not how it works. Sometimes God delays the deliverance. And that's not fun. It's not something we want to hear, but just because it's uncomfortable doesn't make it untrue. We know it's true. We see it over and over again. God does not always deliver us at the soonest possible moment. He didn't bring Joseph out of prison as soon as the cupbearer was restored, and he doesn't bring us out of our storms the moment we see a possible break in the clouds. Often, things get delayed. V. Raymond Edmond, An American minister and author and the fourth president of Wheaton College once wrote, Delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes the instrument. And man, I love that. Delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instrument. I never wanted to lose a child to stillbirth. I never wanted that to be part of my story, and I never wanted to grieve the loss of that child as long as I have and as long as I will. But I know and have seen how God has used and will continue to use that particular hardship to give Karen and I a more effective ministry. And I have felt personally how God has drawn me closer to Him, made me more reliant on Him during my times of suffering. And I am well aware that losing Ava will not be the last hardship of my life. That he will bring other storms, that he will use those storms to continue to shape me, continue to draw me closer to himself. 
Know that as you journey through whatever difficulty you're experiencing, whatever hardship will come your way, that God is not letting you ride out that particular storm of life because he has forgotten you. He is polishing his instrument, and he is with you. He is drawing you into a deeper, more dependent relationship with himself. He is preparing you for his purposes. And I know that you are not experiencing, or and know that you are not experiencing that hardship because you have not earned God's attention. His attention, or his in, he is intentionally focused on you. He has sent his son to die for you that he might have relationship with you. He cares about you deeper than you have the ability to comprehend. God loves you. And God is remembering you. Even now. What a fantastic, loving, gracious God we serve. Amen.